But first, history made yesterday in the Colorado legislature. Did you catch this? A state tax on marijuana sent to the governor. Are the fiscal problems of Colorado over? Well, hardly. But this new marijuana tax is another sign of the growing legal marijuana economy in the United States. And that's where we begin this hour. Six months ago, Colorado and Washington became the first states to legalize the recreational use of marijuana. Initiative 502 uh, largely is about making marijuana boring because who cares about all this detailed technical regulatory stuff? Well, that's what it's all about, is to get down into the into the weeds, so to speak. Making marijuana boring. That's Washington State Representative Roger Goodman down in the weed weeds, facing challenges of how to come up with a state regulatory scheme for pot use now that it is legal in the state of Washington. Austin Jenkins is State House reporter for our partner KUOW in Olympia, Washington. Welcome, Austin. It's good to be here, John. So are they considering taxes there in Washington State, like the folks in Colorado? No, you know, that was actually baked into the initiative here. So uh, and the, the taxes are steep, I should add. It's basically 25 percent from producer to processor, another 25 percent from processor to retailer, and then another 25 percent from retailer to consumer. So it is a steep tax, but it was actually embedded in or, as I said, baked into the, the initiative that was passed by voters, I should add. Back in November, with 56% of voters saying they like this idea of legalizing recreational marijuana. Well, state officials heard the people speak there in Washington state. And now Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson is waiting for the federal government to weigh in here. Listen. If they choose to say you can't go forward, that gives me something to respond to, right? As a lawyer, I can do that. Uh, If they allow us to go forward, all the better. Um, But I'm glad that it sounds like they will give some indication of, uh, of next steps coming soon. I mean, what he's talking about there, Austin, is the difficult navigation between federal and state law now that pot is legal in Washington. How are folks handling that? Well, everybody is waiting and has been for weeks, it seems like now months, to hear what the Obama administration will say or do about this. Our governor, Jay Inslee, met with uh, U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder back in late January. Basically, his takeaway from that uh, meeting was that the state could go ahead and start to implement this law, but basically uh, some word would come sooner rather than later from the feds, and that hasn't happened. And so at this point, it's you know reading the tea leaves, watching the smoke signals, wondering whether the feds will step in to try to block this or whether they will at least tacitly let it play out. Meanwhile, it seems like the state of Washington is dealing with this growing regulatory kind of fix to create really the environment for a fully legal market for marijuana, more like casino gambling than legalized heroin in some sense. Here's Professor Mark Kleeman, who's a consultant for Washington State on the implementation of all this. Even people that I know who really think that marijuana legalization is a bad idea and will not work out well are enthusiastic about the idea that Washington is going to try it in a sensible way because then we'll know something. Sensible way. Does that mean medical and recreational marijuana is going to be separately labeled? Are there businesses ready to go waiting for certification, that sort of thing? Well, first off, there is a pretty important distinction here. The initiative here in Washington State 502 was silent on medical marijuana. And we have a fairly robust medical marijuana environment and industry in this state. And that is of concern because it is uh, there's a potential for what is often referred to as a gray market, where basically there will be medical marijuana available untaxed for less money than the regulated legal product. And that sets up some concern. But but that said, I mean, this is going to be a highly regulated system of 
legal recreational pot. And we're talking about decisions having to be made on the front end from the kinds of pesticides that can be applied to the plants to how do you recall contaminated products should it get into the uh, into the consumer stream. I mean, there's all manner of concerns and difficulties in trying to stand up what is essentially the first legal recreational pot market in the world. Does uh, the the federal law here supersede in the sense that uh, if you cross state lines, go down to California to get marijuana or something, because there's plenty grown in California that uh, it violates federal law, you have to grow everything in Washington state? Absolutely. And a huge concern of the feds is what they call leakage, Washington pot getting out of the state of Washington. And that is a huge focus of energy here in Washington state. How do we keep it in our borders once we're growing and selling it legally? But uh, very clearly, uh, Washington and Colorado will be the model if this uh, gets more legal more broadly. Yes, we are the test. And, you know, everybody's literally everybody is watching. This is being watched around the world. Austin Jenkins is state house reporter for our partner KUOW in Olympia, Washington. Austin, thanks so much. You're welcome. So with marijuana above board in Colorado and Washington state, what does that do to the traditional black market for pot? A market that is, in dollar terms, one of the largest agricultural crops in the United States. Well, with a big supply of product and growing ease of access in decriminalized or legalized states in the West, now economists would tell you that that should bring a drop in prices and a loss of profits for sellers. And that's exactly what's happened to dealers who have relied on the boutique-style, high-price, illegal marijuana trade and are now feeling the breath of a Walmartization in the pot market. People who retail weed the old-fashioned way, like myself, I saw my business falling off. So my idea was, okay, why not move to New York, where I would probably have success. Now, that's the disguised voice of a marijuana dealer from California named Chuck, part of an economic story about the marijuana market today produced by reporter Marianne McCune at Takeaway co-producer WNYC right here in New York. Now, dealer Chuck not only wants to get back to the prices of old in underground New York, he can raise his profit margins by buying California pot low and selling for illegal street high prices in New York. As reporter McCune found out, it's easy to transport marijuana to the East Coast. And once Chuck starts selling, he's not terribly worried about anyone shutting him down. I'm going to guess the law enforcement priorities that I'm not near the top. <laughs> Elementary economics there. And you can hear Marianne McCune's full piece featuring Chuck on our website, thetakeaway.org. And really, this is Economics 101 meets youth culture in New York City. And as part of their coverage of the changing marijuana economy, Radio Rookies, a program run by Takeaway co-producer WNYC, ask two young women who go to very different high schools in the city to give us a glimpse of the role pot plays in their worlds. This is Tammy Tayo. I go to a public high school in Manhattan. I'm Gemma. I go to a private school not too far from Tammy. As teenagers, we can both tell you that once you reach high school... Weed is a part of your life. We like to smoke um, what is called loud pack. It's called sour. We like to smoke that sticky icky. Even if you don't smoke, you're going to have to deal with it. There are no more slumber parties where you paint each other's nails and watch white chicks and talk about boys, you know, because whenever you're talking about boys, you're talking about the guy you hooked up with when you were wasted at some giant party. And whenever you're watching a movie, you're like, wow, this movie would be so much better if we were all really stoned. 
Now, what these two young reporters found is that marijuana, like alcohol, is not confined to any race or class. It has its cultural place in public school and private school as well. Here's reporter Temi Tayo Fagbenli. Let's assume one way or another you've got the money to smoke. The next choice is what kind of smoker are you going to be? Yeah, like how often? I smoke in the morning after breakfast. When I come to school, probably like another clip or something. Then when I go to lunch, I probably got like five, five with my boys. And then probably if I'm feeling good or if I'm mad or if I'm sad, after school, I, I, you know, I hit like another two blunts. We always wanted to smoke. Like, we just smoke. We see each other always 5-5, five, five, I'll be 5-5. Five, five. That's the way you have fun nowadays. My friend Maverick's theory is people living where he does in Harlem need relief. It's a, it's a really stressful environment up here. Uh, some people are below or just above the poverty line. You know, uh, downtown... These kids also do have problems and are also a bit stressed. But, you know, it's uh, weed is more of a recreational thing. All right. I don't think it's that simple downtown. There are definitely kids who smoke because something in their life is off. My friend Pepper has major family problems, and she used to smoke a lot of weed. Like, not like I was ever really addicted to things. I could always stop when I really looked at myself and was like, whoa, I have to stop smoking weed right now, or whoa, I got to stop partying so much. Were you ever in a situation like that? Yeah. I last semester of school, I smoked weed every day, skipped school, and failed all my classes. And it's not the availability of pot or alcohol or even the behaviors of rebellious kids that mark the differences between public and private school. It's the consequences of those behaviors that can be radically different depending on your world. In private school, kids can get away with a lot. I know a bunch of seniors who ate edibles on the rafting trip, and somehow the teachers found out. What happened? They couldn't go to prom. But it's okay. One of their parents rented a yacht for them to have their own private prom. Wow, that's crazy. To be fair, that's not always how it works out. I know kids who've been kicked out of school for smoking or dealing, but that's rare. In my world, it's the cops who really deal with it. Like last month, six cops came to the school and arrested this guy everyone knows is a dealer. At prep schools, cops are not called. You deal with it in-house. Mostly people just don't worry about getting arrested. My friend Jenny smokes in Central Park all the time. I don't think anyone would question me if they saw me walking in the park late at night. Um, So Why wouldn't they question you? Because I'm an upper-class white girl. I actually thought kids at my school would be more cautious about the police because they live in neighborhoods where there's a lot of police stopping first. But almost everyone I asked said they weren't worried about the cops. No, I never worry about getting caught using weed. I just worry about, like... No, never worry. No. It doesn't matter to me. The weird thing is, it's not because they don't think they'll get caught. They just don't think getting caught and arrested is that bad. Where I used to live, it had a gate and, like, cement underneath it, underneath the gate. And, like, they would just, like, throw them against there and, and, like, slam their head against the, the gate and, like, search them. Like, to see if they have any more weed or any more drugs. So, having witnessed that, you still have no worries as a black male for getting caught with weed. I mean, if I get caught, what else am I going to do? Run away? I mean, might as well take it. Okay, but I'm saying you don't have any, like, precautions or anything? Not really. 
So do I wish on a star that people in my world would be more cautious about weed? Yeah. Okay, but teenagers are only as cautious as they think they need to be, the bare minimum. And that minimum differs from world to world. Great reporting from coast to coast on the culture, the business, and the policy of marijuana. You can hear the full radio pieces produced by those radio rookies from our partner WNYC on our website, thetakeaway.org. Coming up, one of South Asia's most influential voices will speak to Nobel Peace Prize winner Mohammed Yunus on the tragedy in Bangladesh. On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week, we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts. Notes from America. 